0: You're here this morning to uh, celebrate this Good Friday with us. Anybody have have plans? Is anybody going camping for the weekend? No? Yeah, because you know, as well as I know, that if you haven't left by... This time Friday, you don't get a good spot. You get the spot is right next to the toilet. So you are the faithful few and you are staying here. I'm, I'm a pastor, so I don't get to camp on Easter anymore. But of course, that's a, it's a long habit, a habit that died long ago. We love being here on Friday. And of course, we want you to be here on Sunday as well as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. I hope that you're here. And please bring your friends and your family so that we can proclaim to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you open up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19? Now, of course, uh, today is a day all about the death of Jesus. And if you're a visitor or if a friend has invited you and and you're here, uh, uh, just quick recap. The reason you're here, the reason we're remembering this, the reason we gather on Friday mornings is because in that that historical moment when Jesus died on the cross. And that's just the center of our religion. That's the center of our relationship with God. That's the center of the whole Bible. That's what we believe in. The one thing we believe in, it's that. Everything else we believe sort of comes out of that at the cross but it's so central to us because what we, what we know is that what God has said is that on that cross, as we just sung, when Jesus died, he was dying not for his own sin, but the punishment of the sin of everybody else that would believe in him. And, and so, so you may have lots of problems today. And I'm sure you do. And I'm not going to make light of them. And you may have, uh, even Christians, lots of problems going on in your life. Maybe they're keep making you anxious. Maybe they're keeping you up at night. You have a lot of problems, sure. You don't have any bigger problems than the fact that God is justly angry at you because of your sin. We live in a world that wants to convince you with everything it's got, even some well-meaning Christians. They want to convince you that God is not angry and he just wants to be your friend and it is a lie of the devil. He wants you to believe that so that you do not flee to safety in the Lord Jesus Christ. But your biggest problem on top of every other problem in this world, and in fact the cause of every other problem we experience, is that you are an enemy of God But the good news of Good Friday is that Jesus has died in our place for our sin so that we can be forgiven and be made right with the God who loves us enough to kill his son for us. That's the good news of Good Friday. That's why we're here. That's why we're singing. That's why we're we're so joyful on a day like today. We pray that you would believe that if you have not yet believed that. Become a Christian if you're not yet a Christian and join us in this church if you do not already call this place your spiritual home. Amen? That's the invitation we give to all of our unsaved loved ones here in our midst. Well, I told you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 19, which is going to find yourself nestled right in the back crevices of the Old Testament law. And I'm just going to read a bit and then start explaining. Maybe a, an odd passage for a, for a good Friday, but I came across this just last week in my Bible reading and, and I could not escape it. It's as if a, a hand came out of this passage and just gripped me and would not let me go. And I thought, I, I have to preach on this. We have to extol Christ from this section of scripture. And here is how Deuteronomy chapter 19 reads. (laughs) On the back behind us, we're going to see Numbers chapter 35 verse 28. We'll get there soon, but first we'll start in Deuteronomy 19. God is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel and he says, when the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves In the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess, you shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that the manslaughterer or the manslayer can flee to them. And this is the the provision for the manslaughterer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him through a feud in the past, As when maybe someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, for example, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslaughterer and overtake him because the way is long and strike him fatally. Though the man did not deserve to die since he had not hated his neighbor in the past, Therefore, I command you, you set yourself three cities apart. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory that he has sworn to your fathers and gives you more land as he has promised to give your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all of his commandments, which I command you today by loving the Lord your God and walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities next to these three. Well, it's obvious to see why we're there for a good Friday. Right? This is you know, this is the, the passage that you put on the, the Easter tracks to invite people to church, no doubt. Let's, let's, let's just set for ourselves a little bit of background history so that we understand the passage that we find ourselves in today. And maybe you're not a Christian or a churchgoer and you just have no clue what we read. And that is absolutely fine. We'll, we'll make our way through it. But, but basically, historical context is that God had chosen a man, Abraham, gave him lots and lots of kids with lots and lots of kids so that they would become the, the, the equivalent of a nomadic nation that didn't have a country to live in. And then he sent them through miracles and through wonders and through marvelous battles. He took them to a land that he had promised them, which became the nation of Israel. And so they went in there, and just before they're about to enter and conquest it and take it by battle, God says, when you go into that land, here's here's some laws, here's some rules, here's some sacrifices. And that's the book of Deuteronomy, basically, just that speech. And one of the commandments that God makes to them is, in the nation, I want you to divide it up into three and and build in each third a city called the city of, of refuge. And these would be one and the same, sort of right within the, the Levitical areas. So, where all the priests lived, where all the holy guys did their, uh, their living and their abiding and all of their, their work, there would be this thing called the city of refuge. And, and you just sort of heard a bit of that background information. Why they needed a, a city of refuge is because this is a day and an age without. Formal courts, so much as we might see it today, without a huge justice system, and definitely without jails and prisons and all of the like. Okay, so, 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 what God says is instead of having an an official or an officer whose job it is to investigate and find out and punish the man who, who kills another man, instead, each family, each family, in fact, every single person is responsible for the life of the person closest to you. This was all the men. The women were not avengers. If, if, if you were a male in Israel, you were responsible for the nearest blood relative to you. So that if they were robbed, it was your job as the kinsman redeemer is what they would call it or in this passage the kinsman avenger, the avenger of blood. If your relative was beaten or robbed or assaulted or killed it would be your job to go and hunt down the person guilty and put them to justice. Often it was killing them. Can I just get an amen from all the guys? Would life not be so much more stress-free if that was still the law? Like you were just responsible for beating on every person that gave any of your family trouble? You'd be looking for it. Come home, stressful day at work. Did anybody insult any of my kids today? Anybody been, did anyone scratch the car, babe? Was that? No, that was me, honey. I scratched it on the pole. No, no, no. Tell me it was, it was our neighbor. I, I got some stress You're just going to just go and relieve. You just feel so much better if we got to do all of that. That's, that's me. I'm not very sanctified, and I'm happy to admit that. <laughs> well, that was the law. So the avenger of blood was responsible for killing the person who killed their family member. Now, here's the trick uh, uh, the, the God, God had so commanded them to have these cities of refuge. So that if somebody kills your family member, or well, let's make it personal, if you killed another person in Israel accidentally, and in a day before CCTV footage, you could quickly get to the city of refuge and hide there and be safe from the avenger of blood, who, finding their dead relative, will come and get you. So, so imagine it. Uh, it, it, it go now. Of course, it had to be. It had to be legitimate. You know. There had to be no um, no suspicion around the situation. If you run into the city of refuge and, and they ask you why you're there and they say, you know, I was, I was on the job side. That's a common example. I was on the job side. I was just I was nailing in the plasterboard with my nail gun and, you know, the other guy was standing on the other side of the plasterboard. I hit a couple of hollow spots and it went through him and got his chest and now I'm here. I accidentally killed somebody and they said, okay, makes sense. Good Good story, but, but why has he got 12 in each side and why was his body dumped in the cement? You know, this this, this looks a little bit odd. They, they start asking questions and they bring him to justice if they need to. Or, you know, I was, I was cooking and I was just chopping the onions and, and he came and surprised me and I accidentally, you know, stabbed him in the chest. I go, okay, that's a story, but why was he stabbed 37 times and why was his hands tied together? You start asking questions. So so as long as the story sort of fit, and it really is something, the example that the scripture gives is very detailed. Maybe, maybe it happened to Moses before, so he just knows the story. You know, you're you chopping, you, you bought an Aldi axe, that is sale, you Got an Aldi axe, it's really lightweight, you love it, and, and you're chopping wood, and the other guys are chopping their wood, and, and all of a sudden the axe is very light, and it's just clanking wood on wood on the tree. And you start looking for your axe head that you've got your initials stamped on, lest anybody steal your Aldi axe, and you find that the axe is buried in the spinal column of a neighbour of yours. Now you've you've got a trouble, right? Now now, now you're in trouble because if anybody comes and asks how this person died, you can't say they had a terrible fall out of the tree. You have to explain the fact that your axe is in his back, but there's a really good reason why. And so the, situa- the law, in fact, the commandment was, and this is sort of how you would prove your innocence, is it in that exact moment that you had noticed that you had unintentionally killed somebody, you had not gone to the due diligence to make sure your workplace was safe. This is OHS in the in the old days. Somebody has to die before you, you, know, you get punished. Um, uh, and, and you bought a dodgy axe from Aldi, and, and because of that, somebody dies. You are now guilty not of murder, but still of slaying blood. Still ending life due to carelessness. And so the law was that in that moment that you notice that you have unintentionally killed somebody, you need to drop what you are doing, grab none of your things, and simply run. The law was just start sprinting. Flee from where you are and run where. Not home. Don't grab your things. Don't, don't tell all of your family what's happened. Don't try and, try and get your story ahead of, the, ahead of the rumors. Just get yourself to the city of refuge. Run there. And as soon as you were inside the doors of that city, which were commanded to be kept open day and night, not usually very safe, but they did that for those manslaughterers. Once you were through those doors, you were safe from the punishment of justice. But the family members... Who, who maybe the, the husband doesn't come home from work that day or, or maybe uh, there was other people around and, and they find a dead body and it's your name on the axe head in his head. They, they find out that it's you and they are ordained justly by the law of God to find you and kill you because you slew their kinsman's blood. So so from that moment that you drop your axe and you start running, you know until you're in the doors of the city, you have a hunting party coming after you with torches and pitchforks to give you the justice that you know under God's law they can give you. And if they find you and they lynch you or stone you or butcher you or stab you, whatever they do, it's just. They're allowed to do it. And so the commandment was flee. If you're innocent, Flee, if your story will hold up, flee, because when the accuser comes, he will find the nearest city of refuge and he will cry out your name and say, come out, Tom, come out, Steve, whoever you are, you killed my family member. And they would hold at the city gates a little small court where the elder elders would judge and see whether the story made sense. And the Jewish, the ancient Jews, they, they had these, uh, these rules that they put in place. You can read this and the commentaries of this text. What they said was that because this is such an important law, because people who, who have been given by God... A sliver of mercy where you can go free though you killed somebody that they put into these uh, uh, into laws and practices to keep that law in habit, to keep it in place. So what they would do is they had made roads that went from every road in the, in the, in the nation, every road had a road that led to the city of refuge. And, and on an annual basis, they would, the, the, the councilman would sort of set aside somebody to, to go down every road once a year and make sure that stumbling blocks were removed. And make sure that bridges that had been broken were restored. And make sure that ditches were filled in. Because so important to the people was it that the innocent or those who have been offered mercy would find that mercy. And on every crossroads, they would put signs that, that have uh, 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 the street name, of course, the suburb you're in. And on every crossroads, an arrow pointing to the nearest city of refuge. And, and on, the, on the, 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 the sign was written, refuge, refuge, refuge. It was so important to them. That refuge could be found by anybody in that that flight of anxiety and in that moment of of heat. As you've just killed somebody, you need to run. You can always, always, always find your way within half a day's running to the city of refuge. (coughs) You see, (coughs) in the Old Testament, it's not just a bunch of ancient weird laws that we sort of ignore mostly because we're in the New Testament now. The Old Testament laws and prophecies and and events, they're, they're all so ordained and ordered by God so that by studying them, we can see Jesus. And so that the Jews back in the Old Testament, they were supposed to sort of live them out and get clues for them and their children what this Messiah Savior was going to be like. So every book of the Bible points to Jesus in one way or another. So there were some events, right? Take like the Noah's Ark. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. Noah's Ark, where where the whole world was being judged for sin, but in the Ark was safety and salvation, and so we see there our clue that Jesus is like that ark. That once we are in Him by faith, we're saved from the mercy, from the judgment and punishment of God. Or, or you can take another one, maybe maybe uh, the like, like. Let me just say. But. It actually happened. The ark and the flood actually happened. It just also had a greater meaning. Let's, let's just say that. But then also you had other rules about what they could eat, what they could wear, where they could, um, where they could walk. And, and those laws were pointing to Jesus in one way or another. They had prophecies in the other parts of scripture which were saying things like, there will be a king born to a virgin and he will rule the nations. Pretty, pretty vague to them, pretty darn specific for us who celebrate that every Christmas and of course every Sunday and every day of our lives, but for them it was a prophecy and, and then there's laws like this, the city of refuge. Now maybe you're wondering how in the world this points to Jesus or maybe you've started joining the dots that Jesus is our refuge city to whom we run and once we are inside of, of his salvation by believing His death is counted as our death. We are saved from the punishment of justice and we are forgiven by the good and gracious God. Jesus is that city of refuge that every sinner is commanded to flee to. It's the place where sinners can escape justice. And Jesus is the person in whom us sinners can escape punishment because of God's law allowing it. So God actually, actually, part of the reason that God punished Israel, and he would punish them over the years, one of the reasons he was punishing them was because they wouldn't obey these laws. And in fact, the whole practice of the city of refuge fell out of practice. But the the greater reason that he punished them for breaking those laws was the fact that they were about Jesus. And so they let fall out of practice all of these things that were pointing to Jesus. So, so God punished them because they forgot these, and yet the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of Hebrews and the book of 1 Peter tells us that while they failed to do it, God still kept it all written down for the likes of us after the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can understand more about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so here's, here's, here's what it sort of means. Let's just remind ourselves... If they caught you, right, you're the person whose axe head slipped off, copped some dude in the head because he was just wearing an Aldi helmet, the clip broke, killed him, you, you run. The issue is that at any point, they can kill you. Like, your, your life is literally in the balance until you get to the city. You have to be sprinting. You have, you're not allowed to just dawdle. Like, you don't, you don't look at the sites because you don't usually get out of your local area. And it's nice here in, in the mountains. And, and look at this cave that I need to walk through. Oh, there was an avenger of blood waiting in the cave. Now you're dead. You need to run. You need to sprint in order to escape the justice that you deserve. You could be justly condemned and killed if you were caught. But you can sort of imagine, like, the, the city motto or the city saying of the city of refuge where the Levites and the high priest would live. Maybe the the city saying was that as you sprinted through the doors and you threw yourself across the driveway and you slid in the dirt as your avenger was coming after you to seek your blood as you scrape into the city, the priest, the welcomer, the elder would yell out, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in the city of refuge. And so Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul pens those words for us, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who have fled to Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the city of refuge, of, of refuge for sin-sunken souls like us. However, friends, there is an urgency to this matter that has to be addressed. There are some of you that we are so thankful and we've been praying that God would bring you today and maybe you didn't have much choice because your parents dragged you or your friend just pulled you along. You're visiting from out of town and if they went to church and you didn't, you'd be stuck in their empty house with their smelly cat. So you come and you're here. Maybe there's not a lot of choice for you, but we're praying that God would bring non-Christians here to our church because, because there's some of you who, who are acting like somebody who, who the law can justly condemn for the avenger of blood is coming after you, you should be going to the city of refuge and you're strolling. And maybe your friends or your family or, or, or a Christian coworker has said to you, you know, there's, there's this thing called City of Refuge and every Sunday we, we learn about it. Do you want to come along and learn about it so that you can go there? Because you really need to go there. And Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I actually grew up near a City of Refuge and, and I, I sort of know a little bit about that stuff. And you know, I believe in the City of Refuge. I'm not saying there's no such thing as a City of Refuge. I'm just saying that probably later in my life I'll, I'll feel the need and I'll go to the City of Refuge. And, and maybe your really well-meaning friends have said things like, well, in the city of refuge, there's really great food. And in the city of refuge, there's really comfy seats. Or, or there's really nice people in the city of refuge. Right? Almost not true because they're all accused murderers just on the side. But anyway, <clears throat> little clue there. Church is just full of forgiven sinners that we all, and we all know we're sinners. But anyway, the, you, you've been told <coughs> there's a city of refuge. You, you should go, but you still dawdle you still think about it and you want maybe another few months, another couple of years, let let God just, God should just let you live your life a bit. And you know, you'll consider, you'll do him a favor by considering the city of refuge. But friends, you need to know that today, today the urgency is pressed onto your heart. That you do not need to, you, you should not assume that you have two, three, four, five more minutes or days or weeks, or years. Maybe you've actually had experiences like this in your life, near-death experience, car accidents, health scares, false diagnoses that ended up being false, or maybe that were turned around through, through the, the wonders of modern medicine, whatever it was. Those things, those were God meeting you on the road when you should be running to the city of refuge. He met you, held a blade up to you, that I'll give you one more chance. Keep running. Flee. Now here you are under the the millionth chance that God has given you. He's given you mercy. But this mercy now, while while you're in between guilt and the city of refuge of Jesus, you're only under temporary mercy. You only have permanent mercy and grace which forgives you eternally if you find Jesus, if you flee to Jesus. And therefore, I need to press you. Don't, Don't wait for maybe next Easter or next Christmas or next week. Think today where your soul is in relation to God. And knowing that you're a sinner, and we all are, for we have all broken God's laws, hated his commandments, preferred to live for ourselves. Taken all of his blessings, of course, the the family, the sunrise, the food, the, the holidays, the money, the health. We'll take all of that and then refuse to give him our faith and our repentance. Friends, you stand justly condemned. You are guilty And the plea of Scripture, the plea of this poor man on stage today is flee to Jesus Christ, who is your only hope of refuge from the punishment that you deserve. Flee, for there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. (coughs) One of the laws that we read there at the end of the, the Deuteronomy 19 passage, one of the laws says, right, make yourself three cities, but if God expands your borders and extends the nation, build three more. Because there needs to be. God was painting this picture so clearly. There must always be an availability for people to find mercy. I love that, that God wants to tell you today. There must always be gospel preaching are everywhere. He's sending out his people to you in prayer right now on the internet. He's sending the gospel to you so that you are never too far away from salvation. You know, the, the Jews had said, modern day Jews that is, they, they say, this law... Of the city of refuge had fallen away. And, and when the city, the nation did expand back then, they didn't add three more. But they say that they believe that when the Messiah, the, their Savior King from heaven comes, little clue, he's already come. But anyway, they say that they missed him. They killed him. That was Jesus. This is Good Friday. None of that should be new. But they missed him. But they say when he comes back and gives us back our land, he will build those six cities again so that everywhere we can be guilty from, uh, sorry, we can be innocent from shedding innocent blood. And well, friends, they're kind of right and they're kind of wrong, aren't they? If they want those cities back, they miss the whole point. And Jesus didn't come back and build those cities. He came back and gave something so much better. Because in every friend who speaks the gospel, in every church that preaches the Bible, in every gospel tract that is handed out, right there is the city of refuge. So that in Romans 10, Paul does not say, you're never more than half a day's sprinting away from salvation. Instead, he says, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus is right here here on your tongue. All you have to do is believe. This is not far from you. This is not far away. You don't have to get on a ship to go on pilgrimage to somewhere for salvation. It is right here in the gospel proclamation that Jesus died for you. He rose for you. He now prays for you. And he welcomes you with the doors of the city of refuge always open. Come. Come. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's another, <coughs> there's another section that I said we would read which is just uh, uh, the, the book before, which I'm sure will be on the screen, which is numbers chapter tw- uh, 35 verse 28. And it's the, the same section is sort of repeating this law, but it gives us, it gives us a detail. It gives us a detail that Deuteronomy 19 in fact misses out on. Look down and Chapter 35 of the book of Numbers, verse 28. That man, that woman who flees to the city of refuge, verse 28 says, he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. See, if you accidentally killed somebody and you were fortunate enough to get to that city of refuge, you, you stay there till you died. It wasn't 44 home deal where you go and touch the stone and then go back home, get a little label around your wrist or a stamp on your hand. You stay there. That's the mercy. It's not full grace. You're not brought back to your previous standing. It's that you stay there, but you can live. And you live with the high priest city and you live with the other Levites and all of that, but, but you don't go back home. Unless, Numbers 35 verse 28 tells us, except you can go free. In fact, the whole city is liberated when the high priest of the nation dies. You stay bound up under law until the death of the high priest. These high priests, in case you're not familiar, they, these were the most holy men in Israel. These were like the leaders of the spiritual uh, landscape. They were the, they were the men who would go into the temple of God and make sacrifices. They were the most holy, teaching, knowledgeable men. And, and it's a, as if, it's as if God allows the man who is making sacrifice all those years, animal sacrifices, to appease the wrath of God for the people. It's as if that when he dies, God accepts his death in the place of everyone in that city. It's it's not as if God is asking for a human sacrifice. He's just saying, he's painting a picture of Jesus that when the high priest dies, everyone goes free. It paints this beautiful picture of the gospel because Jesus Christ is that holy man, the high priest given to us from heaven and we are all liberated, freed, given innocence upon the death of Jesus. In fact, there was a, there was a rule that if you were in the, in the city of refuge and you were to leave, just walk outside of the doors, your avenger could have sentries set up. Like maybe that's what the ghettos were in the city of refuge, just a whole bunch of people waiting for everybody to leave the city before the high priest died and they could kill you justly. That, that, that Lord never ran out. So you never leave the city of refuge until the high priest died. Now, just a little tangent here. Wouldn't that create just the most awkward of relationships with the high priest? Like you love him because he prays for you and he teaches you the Bible. Maybe you know what that's like. And you, you, you know, he's he's very holy and he makes sacrifices and you appreciate the relationship and, and everything. But if he died, you wouldn't be complaining. And very awkward. And, and especially if you came into the city when he's a young man, you know, and you seek refuge and they cry out, no condemnation, and you're brought to the city, city elders, and they say, You are free from justice until the high priest dies. And, and you meet the guy and you're hoping for an old, decrepit, half-rotting man, you know, sort of sort of meeting a pope, half dead. He's just propped up by, by little sticks and, and a young strong, healthy man walks out and, and meets you. and says, I am your mediator to God. Welcome. And you, you know, you're bitter. And thanks. Glad to be here. And of course, the high priest lived so long because they were well looked after. They ate all of the nice food. They were given the best of the lambs. They were protected. So, which sucks if, if you're somebody in the city of refuge. And it's not as if I'm saying I would kill the guy. But you don't have far to run if you do. There's a, there's a little bit of an awkward, awkward situation. Can you imagine being the high priest, though? Like, you want to love the people and pray for them and do your rounds and visit everybody in their homes and, and bless them. But do you trust the soup they're serving up? Like, you're literally surrounded. Your entire city is filled with accused murderers. If you live in this area, you know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. 4114 for those at home. <clears throat> no judgment, we minister here, right? But you're literally surrounded by accused murderers. Or, now they should all be innocent, right? You're going to say, no, but they're all accused murderers. They weren't actual murderers. Well, they are murderers if they were good at getting away with it. So what an awkward situation to be that high priest. Can you imagine every birthday? You know, and a happy birthday, everyone make a wish. And, He's still alive. Okay. You know, yeah, and you're just you're just nervous. and or, or, or every announcement that the city gates, I'm just having fun now. The elders come out and go, everybody, important announcement. Everyone's getting together, crossing their fingers. He goes, uh, the high priest has regrettably wanted to inform everybody that next week's taxes are brought forward. Like, oh, okay, all right. Dang. Or, or they come out and they say, guys, guys, everybody listen. The high priest is dead. Yeah! Oh, 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 yes. No, it's a sad day. It's, it's supposed to be a sad day, but you've got your bags packed and you're thinking about your kid back home who's about to go into high school and you'd really love to see your wife again. It's a good day when the high priest dies, except you're a jerk if you say that. So, so like you're at the funeral. Can you imagine? Like you're not allowed to leave till after the funeral. So, so you're literally there standing next to the coffin and you're supposed to be mourning because it's genuinely sad. Maybe even feel genuinely sad. Like he's dead and he did pray for you a long time and he lived a bit longer than you wanted, but he's still a good friend. He was a good neighbor and you love him. But you can't get out of your head. Your kid's at home. Your wife's cooking. Your home, your your lawn, your, your gutters, the chores are, 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 are a pleasure in your mind right now. You just want to get home to your family. And, and so you're kind of... You're mourning the death, but it's a good day, right? Can you imagine the conflicting inner warfare you'd feel at that moment? Of course you know what that's like. That's Good Friday. Good Friday is the high priest's funeral. He died. We feel some sadness, some solemnity, some some heaviness, some gravitas about that. The, The righteous man died. In fact, Jesus was not just a righteous man. He was the righteous God in flesh. And he did not just die of natural causes, but in the height of his health and in his youth, he was betrayed by a friend, Judas forsaken by all of his friends, left alone by all of his family, falsely accused all Thursday night into the early hours of Friday morning, beaten, mocked, spat on, whipped, beard plucked out, ridiculed as a so-called king, stripped naked, scourged so that his bones all over his body were laid bare, dripping litres of blood out as he walks up a hill carrying a splintery cross, has nails driven through his hands and feet, crown of thorns shoved onto his skull with a signpost above him that this time does not read refuge, 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 though it could at the crossroads, but this time reads the king of the Jews, a a mocking statement. That's a horrible, bloody, gory day. But we come and sing songs because that high priest did not unwillingly die that high priest came for that exact reason to die. He came to die so that all those who had fled to him can find eternal forgiveness and refuge. Jesus is, Jesus is not just a, a man who was righteous. As we said, he was God in flesh. Now that's not just cool, good for him. That has extremely important implications, That means that since the eternal God in human flesh died, that means there needs to be the death of no more high priests. That means that he was the high priest, the world's high priest, the nation's high priest, billions of people's high priest was Jesus so that now you don't wait for the high priest to die. You remember that the high priest has already died. So that when the accuser comes, maybe a friend, maybe the devil himself, whoever it is, comes and reminds you of your sin and cries out your guilt, you say the high priest died 2,000 years ago. I don't do any time. I have full forgiveness. I have liberation. I live in right standing with God because the high priest has died. Not only did he die, he rose again. That will celebrate Sunday. That he sits now at the right hand of God as our high priest praying for us. Praying that you would come. Praying to God that he would be merciful and gracious and pour out onto us all of the blessings that he has earned in his life and his death and his resurrection. The roads to the city were always clear. And right now, the only thing that stops you from coming to Jesus is your own obstinate, hard-hearted will. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not pretend for a second that God is not willing to save you. He died. Do not pretend for a second that, that he needs to give you more time. You're under his just judgment. He's given you all the time, that you more time than you deserve. Come today. And Christian, as we remember Good Friday and every day of your life, When you feel guilt for your sin, you simply remind yourself that the death of the high priest is always a past event and that God sees you as righteous in his son. Let's close our eyes and pray over this glorious truth of God's death in our place. Father, it is with some conflict that we think of such a horrible, brutal, unjust, unfair, undeserving death of a day as Good Friday. And yet, Lord, yet it is the good news of the gospel. It is the truth that is behind that death of our great high priest. It is the truth that you have spoken to us as as early as Genesis 3 and all throughout Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and exploding into clarity in the gospel, we see that the truth is that Jesus died for us. Father God, we realize that that death was not simply the unwilling death of an undeserving man, but a willing sacrifice of a man who became sin in our place so that the death, divinely speaking, was deserved. He represented us. He became one of us. He was our representative and he died in our place. In my place, Jesus died. Father God, with that we have empty hands like those who are running to the city of refuge, carrying nothing because it would only slow them down. We run to Jesus and throw ourselves through his open arms and remember the promise that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Please save people today who bring none of their good works, none of their attempts to be righteous, nothing that they have done, but only what Jesus did on the cross in their place. Lord, we come and we trust and we rely. Please save people this morning and give them new life. Father God, may we, may we remember all the days of our lives that you are gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. We need no other sacrifice. We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And everybody in the name of Jesus said, amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.